Good morning. I read uh, portions of a book uh, that was kind of disturbing, and I want to share a little bit about that this morning. Um, it was about a former pastor who uh, became an atheist, and he wrote the book to talk to people as an argument, really to give them an argument about why he lost his faith, and it was something that took place the, uh, while he was still in ministry, uh, he had made a mistake, and, and then there was just some responses to that mistake that he had made, and, and eventually uh, he began to just, over time, lose faith, and arguments started mounting with why he didn't believe in God or, or that Jesus Christ really died for people. And he began to just uh, contemplate that, and eventually he told his wife that he no longer wanted to be in ministry, no longer wanted to uh, propagate the gospel of Christ, and, and eventually they were divorced, and after the divorce, in fact, the wife wanting to be involved in ministry married another pastor, and, and uh, he goes on talking about how he lost his faith, and then he comes to the most difficult of the controversy or conversations that he needed to have. And this conversation that he was going to have was with his mother. And he had grown up Catholic um, and then eventually moved into an evangelical type of mainline uh, faith. And, um, and, and his mother was there during that whole time. And so he wanted to go talk to his mother. And he, and he shared with her what had happened and how he had come to his conclusions. And her response was interesting because she didn't respond to angry. In fact, it was a few days later that she came back and she said she felt very relieved that that was happening because, and, and her, her uh, responses can be startling, and this is someone who was really in the church. This is what she said um, uh, when, when the, do we have the TV here? There it is. Uh, next slide. It was wonderful that I don't have to hate anymore. It's, it's wonderful. I, I don't feel like I have to hate anymore. I don't have to hate people, groups. I don't have to hate other people. And it, it, it's interesting and it's somewhat startling because Barna also talked about this. And, and Barna's study of evangelical youth that are leaving the church, their response to why they were leaving to the top reasons was it's just a bunch of stories that science has debunked, okay? And secondly, feel that they're taught to hate certain groups of people. You know, and if you stop and you think of some of the statements that we make, like, we don't hate the person, we hate the sin, and yet it looks a lot more like we hate both. It looks a lot more like we treat both the same, we talk about them the same. Uh, in fact, we often talk about the person more than we even talk about the sin. We really have made the sin synonymous with the person and made it almost their identity. And so how do you, how do you hate the sin and not also show hatred to the person? Yet Jesus demonstrated an incredible example of how you focus on that person and love 
and you really bring them into the identity that God has for them without ever having to address all of the sin because God will address the sin in their heart. And it is a powerful thing. And I know for a lot of people, we have been taught that you need to focus on the sin. It's not what Christ focused on. He focused on the person. He focused on loving the person. So I, I want to I pause uh, and just say this before I go too far. Because I know if not a lot of strong believers in here that you really hear from the Lord, there are a lot of religious people that also attend Bethel's Rock. That may shock you, but it's true. You can smile. But lest you think I'm saying sin is good... I am not saying it is good. Sin is not good. Anytime you disobey God, it isn't good. But a lot of times that we point out everybody's sin, we're like, I don't think it's fair that they get to do all of that, and I don't get to do that. And so they need to stop doing it if they're going to get to heaven, because I can't do it in order to get to heaven. That is a complete misunderstanding of what sin really is all about. Sin is disobedience to a God that gives us direction on how to experience really the best life you'll ever experience, regardless of your circumstances. So we shouldn't be envious of those who are saved because of the grace of God, even though they're walking in the deception of the enemy. We should rejoice that the Lord has set us free from the very things that can trip us up and really destroy life. Because sin does destroy lives. It does destroy families. It does hurt our children. And it really is destroying our culture. Sin is horrible. And that's not what I am saying when I'm saying to love a person. But because we struggle so much with separating the human from the activity... We think that if I'm saying you got to love that person, we're thinking you got to accept their behavior. So completely misunderstood. See, a lot of people are asking this question. This is the question they're asking. Is it true? Is it true? Is all of this stuff, is Jesus true? Is the birth of a God in a human body, is it true? Did that really happen? Or has science proven it wrong? The question, though, now many people are asking is this question, is it good? Is it good for our nation? Is it good for me? Is it good for my family? Is it good for the people around me? Is it good for the workplace around me? Is it good? And if it is good news, if it's good news, if it's such incredible news, why are people resisting it? We know this, and we've talked about it the last few weeks. When we hear news that is not good, we hope it is not true. Doesn't matter what it is. When you hear news that is not good, you hope it isn't true. You don't want it to be true. We know that. Also, in the same way, when you hear news that is good news, you hope it's true. You hope that that news will be true, that it will come true. But the question we have to ask yourself is, so if the message of Jesus is good, why don't people hope that it's true? 
Last week we talked about how news can be good to one person and not good to other people. That when you hear news, some people may think that's great news. And other people may think it's terrible, terrible news. If you hear your government saying, we're going to pay for all of the college debt that's out there. That's great news to people with a lot of college debt. That's terrible news for those who are going to pay for their college debt. Amen? Right? It's terrible news. I don't got college debt, but I got to pay for it. It's terrible news. It's just a matter of who you are, whether or not that's good news or not good news. And yet, when the angel broke through the cloud to the shepherds, this is what they said. It's good news. This is amazing news I have for you. To the shepherds who were the worst of the worst. They were the drunkards. They were, they were not. We see the shepherds at the manger. We all have. How many have a manger in your house, right? You have a nativity in your house. And they stand there looking at Jesus all dignified in their clean shepherd wear and their staves. And we think of them as being the righteous shepherds like Jesus. They were not. They would have been low-class, stinking shepherds, probably haven't bathed in a while, cussing like a sailor, drinking like the worst person. That's who they were. Again and again, Jesus came to the lowest of low, and he came to the shepherd, and he said, and some of you are thinking, oh, that's just it. I'm not listening to this guy. He said the shepherds were bad, because you've been bought into a religious concept of a nativity scene. Let's talk reality here. That's why so many people, because so many Christians have left reality. Let's get back to what reality is. Jesus, again and again, came to the lowest. Not the religious. Because the religious didn't think they needed a Messiah. They were like, we got a system that works for us. It's a system that's great for me. I got all my little friends, and I got my place where I go in my community, and we all singing, we're coming home. We don't care about all those shepherds out there. They deserve what's coming to them. There's a special place in hell for people like that. What a religious, stinking, thinking type of view. That has literally infected the minds of believers who really don't even know who Jesus is. Because they're not preaching his gospel. They're preaching a gospel that has been distorted and infected by disease for years called religion. And it doesn't matter much whether it's called Christianity or Islam. Religion is demonic. Because it deceives people. Are you following? This was good news. And he said, when you hear this good news, this is what it's going to do. It's going to bring great joy. Now, don't tell me, don't tell me, and this is a little bold, that this is good news that brings great joy. And I'm sitting here. When does this thing get done? I ain't going to worship no music. Right? How many know what? It's like more like a funeral service than it is like who's dying in this place? There ain't no great joy. God's calling us good news of great joy for some people, the good people. No, for all people. That means you. But that also means those out there that have no idea 
about the good news because we've been preaching something that excludes them instead of includes them into, into all of this. The gospel was such good news, they called it good news. They didn't know what else to call it. You know, that's such incredible news. What other name could we give it but good news? Which is what gospel actually means. This, is, this should be their response if they don't believe. This really should be their response. While it's hard to believe that Jesus was born in, to, a, to a virgin. It's hard to believe the, the stories about Jesus walking on water. It's hard to believe that Jesus rose from the dead all by himself with the, with the Holy Spirit in him. Right? That's hard to believe. And I don't think I believe all that, but I sure wish it was true. Isn't that what, uh, uh, when, when, when Paul came, is it King Agrippa, it came and he, and he began to preach and he would bring Paul in and he said, boy, I sure wish what you were saying is true. I just can't get to believe it. I'm just having a hard time believing. I sure wish what you were saying. And he'd constantly bring them back because what the Apostle Paul was preaching was something so really drawing to people. People wanted to hear. What he, the only people who resisted it were the religious people who didn't want their system messed up. So, so what took place? What, what actually happened? What actually happened to the good news? What happened to the good news? Why is it that many of us are here today and we don't preach the gospel because we don't think it's good news? We don't think it's incredible news. We, we talked about how whenever we hear something that's good news, we tell everybody, right? We aren't keeping good news from people because we tell people. And when you love people, you want those people you love to know that this is good news, right? So what happened to the good news? We happened. That's what happened to it. We allowed the good news. We put the good news through our filter and we mixed in the religious mindset that had to start putting rules on all of this. And I'm going to talk about this in the scripture. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't know how that's, that is, and, and, and oh, I'm going to show you in the scripture where it talks about this. But there's, there's the, re, the reality is we have humanized Christianity. We have made the source to everything that, uh, of all change in our life, ourselves. We have become the power source. We have become the, the thing. So what, what has happened for generations and preachers just like me have preached, you need to do this and you need to stop lying and you need to be more patient and you need to, and we keep making you the source to what it is to be a Christian. In fact, 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 fact. If you're in Kairos, you'll, you'll hear this often. When someone asks you, how do you know they're a Christian, most of us will go to that, the common thing of what they don't do. They don't, they behave in a manner that we think they're a Christian, right? They have certain behaviors that tell us that rather than talk about the signs that truly follow those who believe. You know why we do that is because oftentimes we don't see those signs in our lives. So it's all based on our behavior. I don't drink. 
I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't date girls who do, right? Rather than these signs shall follow those who believe, they'll raise the dead, they'll heal the sick, they'll cast out demons, and no evil thing that will touch them. Well, pastor, now you're starting to meddle into my life. It's okay when you're talking about all those religious people, but I ain't no, no religious person, right? I, I don't know that, I don't think that most of us in this room ever ended up religious. I think we were discipled religious. I think when you came to Christ, there was this fire that was lit inside your heart. If you have not had a fire lit inside of you when you came to Jesus, you didn't come to Jesus. Because when you come to Jesus, something transforms in you. And then a religious group of people can really put that fire out. And we lose our fire for a relationship with Christ. And literally, that's what it is. See, there's some, though, they said, well, I didn't come because I wanted to. I didn't want to go to hell. So the catalyst of why I'm serving Jesus is so I don't have to go to hell. It's, it's fire insurance, basically. There, there is no relationship. There is no relationship that is ever intimate when it's first started through fear. Let me ask you a question. You have, you have two friends or two, two restaurants, one is owned by a friend, the other owned by an enemy. The one owned by a friend serves vomit. The one served by an enemy serves the best tenderloin filet mignon steak you've ever sunk your teeth in, but you don't like the owner. Where are you going to eat? You're more, if you're going to eat somewhere, it ain't going to be eating, even though they're your friend, you're going to eat the steak. Listen, just because you chose heaven because it's better than hell doesn't mean you have a good relationship with the owner. Just because you say, praise the Lord, I'm going to heaven, I chose Jesus so I could go to heaven. Friend, you have not chosen Jesus. You choose Jesus and you get heaven. He has to be the center. Are, are we getting this this morning? Because I think some of us pick the, the better of the two options, but Jesus should be the catalyst for any option. Should be why we're following. He is the good news. And humanized Christianity is based on your ability to change you, and you cannot change you. There's no way. That's why this is such good news. Because you should have already discovered by now. I have tried to change me. It doesn't work. So if you're saying to me that I need to be more patient. And I need to not lose my temper. And I need to stop doing and stop doing. That's not good news. Because I've already discovered. I cannot stop any of that in my life. I need another source. I need something else that will come and live in me and change who I am. Tell you who that is. Jesus came as a baby so he could come and live in your life and take that which you could not do and do it inside of you. That is good news of great joy. So what's the point? 
What was Jesus' point in all of this? This is what he was, this is the point. He was revealing to us that it was less to do with our behavior and more to do with how that behavior affects every other person around us. We love to pick and choose, don't we? We love to pick and choose. Our gospels are so different because we pick and choose what we want to pick and choose. And, and boy, we got a scripture for whatever I want to do or way I want to think. But Jesus was like, listen, I created you guys to really get along. I love you all. Do you believe that? That Jesus loves you? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Do you believe that Jesus loves humans? Then why do we get so caught up in this righteous class warfare? Instead of realizing that there's some people who are in prison that need to be set free. There is a... Um, a, a thing called the Slave Bible. In 1807, uh, it was created in London and Society of the Conversion of Slaves in British, in British West Indies. It was created, uh, this Bible. What's interesting, there's only three in existence anymore. And um, uh, what's interesting about the Bible is it went from 1,100 chapters in the Bible to 300 chapters. And they used this Bible to teach the slaves to read. Uh, they didn't read, and they knew reading was such a, a big part of changing culture. A reading culture can be changed by what they read. It's, it's pretty incredible. And so this Bible, the slave Bible that was made of 300 chapters, was only 300 chapters because they removed all of the chapters that would cause the slaves to think they weren't meant to be slaves. The entire book of Exodus completely removed out of it. Pretty amazing. Why? Because they wanted them to believe what they wanted them to believe. They wanted to undermine the, uh, the uh, legitimacy. They wanted to keep, they just wanted slaves to know that, they were, that there was nothing wrong with being slaves. They needed to embrace their slavery. Now look at this. Paul said this. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, which by the way, this was removed. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Because the slave Bible was good news for the slave owners, it was bad news for the slave. In, in, in your version, it is not good news. For Jew, or it is good news for the Jew and Gentile, the slave and the free, the male and the female, the saint and the sinner, your sister-in-law and that crazy uncle. It's good news for everyone. And, and the Apostle Paul, he was actually a person living during this huge transition between the, the, the Jewish system that was there and the new and living way and he's living in the tension of this and Paul is saying you've never met anyone for whom the good news was not good news you've never met anyone so so here's here's the question am I preaching this is the question you have to ask yourself am I 
preaching the good news? Am I preaching the same gospel that Jesus preached? One of the things that I, I hear often from believers who tell me why they don't preach, because they feel like whenever I bring it up uh, about taking the gospel, our gospel, our testimony, the blood of Jesus to the world, there's, there's well, you know, I've tried it and, and it just doesn't work. Can you teach me how to do that? I can't teach you your testimony. You, you, you have it in you. You can't be taught in any situation. It is, it's organic. Bringing people to Christ is an organic thing. It's not a book taught thing. It's something we do because of what's living in us. And when I got something living in us, Acts chapter 4 verse 19 says, You determine for yourselves whether or not we shouldn't preach about Jesus Christ. But as for me, I can't help myself. I can't help myself. I just have to do it. It's just in me. Look at, look at this. It goes on in Galatians. You foolish Galatians. Who has, and I want you to see this. Who's bewitched you? Who's bewitched you? Who got your attention? Who's grabbed your attention? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified clearly it was right in your before your eyes i would like to learn just one thing from you this is a pretty bold verse did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard did did you receive it by what you were doing or did you receive it because you believed in faith of what happened and why he did that? How did you receive that? And he says, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Because what we often preach is, listen, receive Jesus Christ in your life. Hallelujah, I receive you. I receive the gift of salvation in my life, the blood of Jesus in my life. Now that you've done that, let me give you the five things you need to stop doing in order to keep it. It's like, now that you're free from the condemnation of Satan, let us give you the condemnation of the church. And boy, you haven't tasted anything until you've tasted that. How many are following me saying, I'm feeling a little bit freer right now? You know, you know what the problem is? Is we put a lot of things on people that we've never been living ourselves. We love to condemn people for what we ourselves are hiding in the closet. That is not good news. He's saying, listen, when did, have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit? Does God give you his spirit? How many say amen? He does. If he gives you his spirit, that spirit is living in you so, and, and work miracles among you by the works of the law. Not by the law, not by, your, not by all that stuff we're doing. He works it through his spirit or by your believing in what you heard. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. We are the good news. Was it correct beliefs? No. It wasn't because you had correct beliefs. You didn't get saved because you had correct beliefs. It started with believing that Jesus died on the cross. And who changed those beliefs in you? He did. 
Did it, was it covered, was it correct behaviors? No. It wasn't by your correct behaviors or your correct beliefs. Was it by how we love one another? Yes. Look at this verse. How, how, are, how are we known? How are we the good news? How are we known? Not our beliefs, not our behaviors. This is how we're known. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now look at this. By what? This, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Say it with me. If you love one another. If you love one another. If we're going to be generational followers of Christ. If we're going to teach our children anything, we need to teach them to love people that no one loves. And the reality is, in order to love those people, it won't even be what you teach them it will be the spirit in them that gives them the ability to do it. It all will come right back to this. See, what he was saying was, God was saying, there's something so pure that if you want to know if someone is following Christ, if you want to know if someone has a relationship with Christ, this is how you will know. Look at how they love people. It's the purest form of whether they have a relationship with Christ. They love everyone. Look, 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 at you say, you're saying, well, I don't know if I'm there, pastor. Okay, let me help you get there. First John, dear friends, let us love one another. Okay, I can tell that that's not enough. For love comes from where? God. So if I'm in God and God is in me, I'm going to have love, right? It comes from God. It doesn't come from within you. So you, you can't, I want to deceive people, make them think I got a relationship with God, so I'm going to try to love people more. It won't work. It will not work. It will only produce condemnation in your spirit because you're not able to do it. The only way you're going to get to loving people more is by being around love. God is love. You, you get you get closer, you spend more time with love, love starts to get on you. It's like humility. You can't be more humble until you're in the presence of God and he clothes you with humility. There are so many cloaks we're trying to wear that are just imitations of the real thing. They wear out faster, right? Everyone who loves, okay, if you're questioning what I'm saying, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not, say it with me, because God is, look at this verse, I mean this whole chapter you could read, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a Even crazy Uncle Eddie. Even that stepfather who's always been rude. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not. 
you will never love people if you're living in religion. Because religion is all focused on how you behave in your little circle, and yet you can hate people and feel all good because I got it all together in your mind. That's called filthy rags. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 says you can give hundreds of millions of dollars away, but if you don't have love, it's as if you've done nothing. You can prophesy, you can do all those fancy words, you can pray like the angels, but if you don't love people, it's like you've not done anything. Hmm. Why? Because God, it all, it all comes through love. Everything comes through love. It's why Jesus' last command he went from two, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor yourself to one, love one another. Because you guys are going to argue about what one's more important. You're going to parse all those commands to see. Here, here's very simple. Love one another. That's good news. I don't know that I've heard anyone say it's bad news when someone loves me. Please don't love, unless you're the Grinch. And even the Grinch's heart grew bigger because of the love of Whoville. <laughs> uh, that's not in my notes. 514, Matthew, look at 514. <laughs> uh, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Look at this. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, the good news, and glorify your Father in heaven. Why? Because you love them. That's good news. You show them love. Listen, listen to this. And, and you may have never seen this before. The Apostle Paul was very passionate, manipulative about the law. He said, I was the best of the best. I, they regarded me as the up-and-coming star of the Jewish uh, Jewish synagogue. I would have been the Pharisee of Pharisee. I would have been probably the next uh, chief high priest, right? I was, I was on my way. And when I heard about this sect from Nazarene, this Nazarene sect, I, I immediately went down and I, I began to do whatever it took to extinguish them from the earth. I went to kill I went to imprison, I was going to manipulate, I was going to do whatever it took to take a forceful, forceful attack to destroy this Nazarene sect. And if he were here today, he would have said, it's because I didn't understand it. Because I didn't understand it. I didn't listen to what they were saying. They were just opposed to me. Opposed to what, they were trying to mess up the system that was going to give me the power I desired. Okay, are you there? How many, how many would say, I, I've mischaracterized? Have I characterized Paul correctly according to Scripture? Now, now let, when he met with Jesus and he became a believer in Christ, that same passionate, manipulative, violent man was more passionate, became more passionate that he would give his life, his own life, for the good news. But he wasn't violent. And he wasn't manipulative. 
and he wasn't attacking people, his approach completely changed. Because he no longer had to force people to believe something they didn't want to believe. He just needed to relay what changed his life. And they would want to come. The difference between a religion is forcing our kids to follow a religion rather than showing them it so they can choose it on all by themselves. Do you believe it's good news? Then we need to preach the good news so that they can see it. Philippians, look at what Philippians says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, if you have any of those things, if you have any of those things, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in Humility, value your uh, others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. That is not what's being preached in our culture today. You got to do what's best for number one. You got to do what's best for you. Got to make the best decisions for you. Not looking to your own interests, but to each of you, to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Boy, marriage would be a lot different if we did, that, did it that way. Well, that was quiet. Now, look at this. Look at this. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. When, when God decided to become man, he was put into the body of a baby. He's born into this earth, and here is God in human form, proving to you, one, he exists. Number two, showing you who he is. Because so many people had tried to define God, and they had failed. But when Jesus came, he defined him exactly how God looks. And what did Jesus do? He did not use his power as God to manipulate for himself. He didn't try to force people to follow him. Jesus used all of the power of the creator. Hear this. He used all of the power of the creator and leveraged it for people who didn't deserve it. Wow. Never for himself. Zacchaeus, the Samaritan woman, the woman who had just had the affair, the lame man, the man standing by the pool of Bethesda, the ten with leprosy, again and again, everywhere he went, he leveraged himself for the good of others. Never to attain anything for himself. He constantly was trying to reach people, helping people. He leveraged his power and influence for those with less power and influence. See, here's, here's the mistake we make. And I want, if, if everyone in here, I heard this by one of our staff people, and the Holy Spirit spoke so loud to me about it. When I heard it, 
And they said exactly what I have said many times. In fact, I would guess you've heard many preachers, teachers say this statement. We are not worthy, but he is worthy. Lie of the devil. And we don't think that's a big deal. We don't think that's a big deal. You know why? Because we don't value the power of words. If you weren't worthy, Jesus would never have come to die for you. God does not create junk. You are worthy. You have always been worthy. Every sinner in their worst state, the, every human being that has ever lived in the worst of situations has been worthy. You may not deserve the goodness of God, but you have always been worthy of it. Because God created you in His image. And we need to get back to the fact, this is good news. I am worthy. And when Jesus came to earth, He was preaching, you are worthy. You are worthy. It doesn't matter what you've done. You have great worth in my eyes. I will go to a cross for you. I will come as a baby for you because you have worth. And the enemy has deceived supposed believers in Christ that they're not worthy. How ungodly can our thing. And if you don't think that's a big deal, the Holy Spirit really revealed. That is an enormous deal. It's a huge deal to think that I don't have that kind of worth. The good news that God of the universe is leveraging in power and influence in your life. Philippians 2 says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work it out. Look at, look at, it goes, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill the good purpose. Listen, what does it say? That we stop to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And that's where we started humanized Christianity gospel. But look, you got to finish the verse. It says, for it is who? God, by his Holy Spirit, who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill what he started in you. Our pursuit is the pursuit of him. And when we do this, look at what happens. When we put others ahead of ourselves, when we lift other people up, look what happens. Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky. Remember, go back where you're a light on a hill. Shine, baby, shine. We need to shine, baby, shine. Just like Jesus as a baby shined on earth. We are the good news. Now, I'm going to end in this. I am good news. And there's a whole section there I'm going to skip over. I am good news. I am good news, go to the, to, to the last, I am good news of great joy to all men, right? I am good news of great joy to all men, right? You say, you're saying, I'll say it one more time. I am good news of great joy to all men, right? See, if you're struggling to say that's true, 
it doesn't start by doing it. It starts by agreeing with it and declaring it over your life. It, we, we start by making declarations. Right? You've all been it when you were junior high kids. I am beautiful, strong, wonderful, and she's going to like me. <laughs> you know, if you're a guy wanting to ask that girl on a date and she's just intimidating, like, I can ask her, like you're trying to build. So you declare things over you, <laughs> right? How many, how many guys know what I'm talking about? All right, you guys shaking your head. No one's, okay, thank you for raising your hand there. You have to start with declaring what you were created to be, not what you were born to be. We declare what we were created to be, not what we were born to be. If life, if, if the life and teaching of Jesus doesn't strike you as good news, it may be because the church hasn't been good news for you. And if that's true, I want to apologize. Maybe... You're here today, and you were brought up in a church, and it was never really good news. In fact, you heard people say the more they got beat up in church, they had church. I had church today because he really went at me. He tore me apart. He tore it up. And that was good, making me feel real condemned, and we, we call it conviction. I know for a lot of religious people, you hear the word conviction, you think that's a good thing. You tell anybody outside these four walls conviction, and they think that's a bad thing. Because there ain't ever been a time in their life when someone said you were convicted that they thought that was great. That meant you were going to prison. How is it that we say the holy... See, we use our words. Incredible how we use words that really the enemy has convinced us that are okay. When Christ came into my life, he took on the conviction so I could get out of prison and be free. The mission of Bethel's Rock isn't to convict or condemn any of you. The mission of this church is to take you from the prison you're in and set you free to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to raise the dead, to do what you were created to do. Not tear you down for what you've done. You've already lived in that condemnation. We don't need to rename it to try to righteousfy what Satan is trying to do in your life. Jesus is saying, I'm not focusing on your sin. I'm focusing on who you are. I want you to come up out of that prison. I want you to come up out of that conviction. I want you to come up out of I've already taken on your conviction, and I've already done away with condemnation. That's why there is now, therefore, no condemnation for a person that believes he's in Christ Jesus. What is salvation? Believing he paid it all. How can you have condemnation if you believe he paid it all? Does that make sense? You can't believe in the condemning words that bring condemnation and then believe that Christ paid for all your condemnation. It's either one or the other. When you become a believer, you believe he paid for it Complete, in full, done, it's over, I'm free. Past, present, future. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? 
So what we don't need to do is start preaching sin more. We need to start preaching the love of Jesus more. We need to start preaching the power of God more. We need to start enticing people, not with scaring them out of hell. We need to draw them into the heart of Christ. That's what Paul did. He said, let me introduce you to someone who will change your life. This is how he changed my life. And I know he's going to change yours. He has a big heart that loves you and is going to take away all of that stuff that keeps you up at night. So you can experience peace. You can experience great joy. And it's for all, all people. Excludes no one. Amen. Aren't you the good news? Right? Will you stand? Will you stand? Let's rejoice in the Lord always. And give him joy. Let's put a smile on our face and actually act like we enjoy being here. Amen. Can we do that? Can you lift up your hands right now and just say, God, I want to rejoice in you today, Lord God. I want to lift up your name. Lord God, this, this guy is not going to be silent. This mouth is not going to be held silent. I'm going to rejoice. Don't wait for them to start singing. Just start praising him with your voice out loud, Lord God. We exalt you, holy God. You are wonderful and mighty and holy in all your ways, God. We rejoice in your name always. And again and again and again, I'm going to rejoice in you, Lord. Holy are you, God. Holy are you, God. Holy are you, God. In every way, Lord God, we exalt you, Lord God. We exalt 